so let's go to Psalm 51. And like I said, I'm going to go, I'm going to try to be going, um, uh, I, I'm probably going to just take it chunk by chunk. You know, we'll see how it goes, because you already know there is no end. Um, and so Psalm 51, um, uh, just a quick snapshot. So once we begin, so we're going to be looking at a prayer of David, so of King David. And so um, understand this, uh, you know, from the get-go that it's, this is a prayer of David. And um, one of the things is to keep in mind as, as we look into the psalm is that we all are going to be people who make mistakes. We're, you know, not only live in a fallen world, we ourselves are going to possibly make mistakes. Um, if you haven't noticed it already, um, we all will make mistakes. And sometimes the sin we, the sin, or the mistake or sin, whatever you want to call it, is going to be at a small degree or it could be at a large degree. Or it could be at a small degree at first, but then the ramifications come at a high cost. So sin, you never can, can truly measure the impact of sin. Um, and so that's why, for example, when we sin, at times we're like, well, it's really not that bad. And that's what the devil wants us to think. You know, that, that's what our flesh wants to think so that we can, uh, we can, um, um, we can continue doing it we can, uh, or, or justify ourselves, whatever the case may be. And so let's, let's understand that from the beginning that there are going to be seasons of our life um, where we possibly will fall from the path of holiness. There might be seasons of our life. Uh, when I mean seasons, it could be, it could be uh, weeks. It could be a day. It could be whatever, months, whatever it is. But there, there are seasons of our life and uh, where at times um, we can fall from that path. Um, and uh, we can trip over things. Uh, we can um, gaze upon something else and lose our focus. And uh, so, you know, let, you know let, these, let these words of King David, you know, literally be a reality for our lives. Um, on what it means to be a repentant man, what it means to be a repentant woman, what it means not to just be sorry because, uh, you know, because, uh, because you have to say you're sorry because that's what's ethically right or because God, you know, that's what God calls us to do or because, because you got caught, whatever it is. But truly that we come before God as, and confess our sins and say, Lord, this is, you know it all. You know the words before they even touch my lips. He knows everything. And so, um, you know, and one of the things is when we look at this is that there's no room you're going to notice right away for pride. When, when, when somebody comes to the realization of what sin does and what sin has done and what this means in, uh, in the light of God, um, there is no room for pride. Um, there, it, I mean, it literally, that is, that is to be a, a true repentant person that you don't care um, uh, how you look. You don't really care what that means for you to repent. You don't care who you have to apologize to because you now have acknowledged the sin in your life. Um, and that is a beautiful, glorious thing. Uh, it really is. And, uh, you know, um, repentance is a beautiful gift that God has allowed. Um, so let never, never forget that, you know, that the fact that you can repent of your sins is the most liberating, most free thing that can ever happen, that you don't have to carry that burden, that you don't have to uh, carry that, uh, that cross uh, of, uh, you know, of day by day, uh, but literally that you understand that Jesus Christ bore that cross for you. And uh, when it comes to uh, the forgiveness of your sins, we bear a cross daily, but we must understand that it, 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 the cross ought not to be the burden and sin becomes a burden in our life. Um, so let's look at this. So it says, uh, verses one to four says, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of of your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. 
against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. So immediately here we see, um, you know, we see that the I, we see that, that David is not blaming anybody. David is saying, I have done this. I have committed a sin. Now, before we dive into this text, I want you guys to understand the context and, and the, the broad, what's, what's in the backdrop, the, the actual, um, the reality of this. And this comes out of 2 Samuel chapter 11. So if you ever, if you're writing scripture, it's good to write 2 Samuel chapter 11 on there. So you know why he's repenting or what he's repenting from. And so let me read that to you. Uh, uh, just a couple verses. Okay, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11. And this is the sin uh, with Bathsheba. So it says this, 2 Samuel chapter 11. When it happened in the spring, at the time when kings went out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent it and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. So let's stop there. So obviously this is not a little sin. And so this is the backdrop of, 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 um, of Psalm 51. So that way, when you read it, you understand what he's repenting from and why this is such a serious uh, a sin. And so we, we see this immediately. So you have this here that David, <clears throat> at the time when all the kings went out to battle, David stayed behind. And there's a whole lesson right there, but no time for that. So David stays behind when everybody else is doing what they ought to be doing. And then only that, he gazes, he's, he has nothing to do. Um, uh, as a king probably, and uh, he had a lot of time in his hands, and he looks, and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. And um, when, when I was out in Jerusalem, just something to understand is when I went to the, the city of David and where it's believed where he had a, um, uh, his home, it's, it's all hills. And so when, we're, when you're at the top, when, uh, you know, obviously the, uh, uh, wherever his palace was in the very top, you can easily see all down uh, uh, all, the, all the, whatever they were, all the homes, and, and people would bathe, uh, where people would bathe and stuff. So the king had access to completely the whole view because the higher you were, the better the view there was. And so you see David must have had an excellent view in regards to the whole uh, perimeter around him. And so that's why, that's why he saw her bathing the roof. And uh, so let, let's go back to Psalm 51, just so you have that in your backdrop. And uh, so David sins, she gets pregnant, and, um, and then there's a problem, right? Then she still, she has a husband. David sends... Uh, her husband to war basically to get killed, puts him on the front line. And even though he, he was a loyal soldier, you see this in the text, you can see it in, the, in uh, 2 Samuel 11. And David sends him out to war so he can get killed so then he can try to hide that sin. So he can try to keep the prize, um, you know, and he can, and, and it doesn't work that way. You know, there's a text in the book of Numbers that says your sin will find you out. And remember this, that our sin will find us out eventually. And that's why we need to confess that sin before God because one of the things that God does is we learned in, in, um, through the book of, of Hebrews is he disciplines his children. And part of our discipline is that, that because he loves us, 
you know, he does not, he does not want us to stay the way we are. He doesn't want us to stay uh, practicing any sort of sin or anything that's going to hinder our, our walk with him. So David acknowledges this, all right? And he says, be gracious to me. And this is the prayer of him. You know, oh God, according to your loving kindness, you know, he says that these are my transgressions. He says, wash me, cleanse me. Uh, I know my transgressions, my sin. I have sinned. So in these four verses, you know, there is a self-recognition. He didn't have to have somebody come and tell him, you need to pray this now. You need to get on your, no, no, no. David understood. David was a man after the heart of God. We see this in scripture. David loved God. He was a very imperfect man, extremely imperfect man. But David's heart was toward the Lord. And, and so no matter what he did, his heart wouldn't allow him to continue that because he, because when you love God, yes, we, yes, mistakes can happen, but our heart, no, you know, uh, it, we just won't be able to sleep. We won't be, we won't be at ease. We won't be at peace because of the sin that we've committed. That's why we go before the Lord. Now, once we go before the Lord and, and we ask for forgiveness, we need to understand that we, it, God is not going to be hounding us over that sin. No, that's, that's been washed off. It's been cleansed. So if, if there's a, uh, if there's something in your mind or your heart of a past sin, Understand that it's not God bringing that, bringing that, bringing that. That's so when he, there's a self-recognition condition, the sinful condition, and this is the problem is sin. We know this. Sin is the problem. And so when David acknowledges this, this is one of the most beautiful things that somebody can do. Simply acknowledge to God. He didn't have to go and stand before a certain, pe uh, certain group of people. He didn't have to go uh, uh, stand before uh, uh, the family of Bathsheba or Uriah. No, the, the, the issue here was with God, number one. Before anything else, the, 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 he had sinned against God. And, and he's, you know, against you. You only, in verse four, says, I, I have sinned. You who have sinned, again, he's not blaming anybody. He's not trying to look for excuses. He's just saying, you know what, God? I have sinned against you. You know, and, uh, um, and if we're not careful, our sin will condemn us. You know, we have to, that's, there's freedom in forgiveness. Because if not, our sin can be hounding us, hounding us, hounding us in this, and it won't leave us alone. And like I said, you know, for example, you may say, well, my sin isn't that bad. You know, for example, um, or, or, you know, it's not like I'm murdering people. You know, what the Bible says, if you hate, it's just like murder. You know, and, you know, you, you can say, well, I'm not sleeping around. But the Bible says if you're lusting, it's just as if you were. You know, so, so we have to understand that, that it, 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 there is no escape. You know, when we look at, at the grace of God, the grace of God is to teach us to deny ungodliness. And so um, our job is not to try to justify sin. We are sinners. Everybody is a sinner. Our job is to understand that we find forgiveness and freedom in Jesus Christ. And there's only Jesus can can liberate us from this. And that's why he says, be gracious to me. You know, he doesn't come pounding saying, I'm King David, Lord. You know, no, he's the, I'm, I need God. I'm a man who needs God. And so it, that's the way it ought to be. It, there ought to be a humility. There ought to be sincerity on that. And so it's, you know, when, it's, when we sin against God, you know, others will be affected by this. So it's not like, you know, he said, I have sinned against you and not anybody else. No, but but understand this, that sin, number one, is, is we must face. We, 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 have to, we have to come before God before anybody else. Um, and, and, and as God leads us, we, we um, you know, depending on the sin, depending on what it is, you know, we go to the people. You know, but uh, um, the transgression is it's not against a person. 
It's against God himself. Uh, so that's the number one thing to understand. And as we look at, at this overview of Psalm 51, there's three main things I want you guys to have in your mind um, that, that I have for you guys. So number one is the grip of sin. The grip of sin. That's number one. Number two is the tyranny of sin. And I'm going to explain these right now. And number three is a repentant heart. All right. So the, these are three things that as I was studying that, that, that stood out for me that I want to share with you guys as we meditate on the psalm. So number one is the grip of sin. The tyranny of sin is number two. And number three is a repentant heart. And so verse five says this. It says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden and in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness and let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And so the sin of man is great. We have to understand this. When we sin, it is not to be measured with a little sin, what's a big sin. No, it's sin. You know, we have to just say sin, call it what it is. Sin is sin. And so, you know, for, for this, for any, for any size uh, of sin, whether it be small, whether it be large, um, we have to understand this, that, that we, we have a great God, you know, and this is what I, I want you guys to, you know, I want to make sure this, this is in, in, in your minds and your hearts that, you know, we are great sinners, but we have a great savior. You know, we are, we, there, there are many things that we've done in our past that we wish we didn't do, but we did. And God will forgive us if we go before him. And I'm sure he's forgiven you like me for many things. I mean, that it's even embarrassing to think about, but God is good. And God removes that guilt, that embarrassment, and, and we can live free in him. And so we have a great savior on that. So, you know, it, David comes before him and says, look, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, my mother conceived me from birth. We are, we are, we come, we come when the package of sin. And so this needs, it's not like, you know, uh, um, it, it's not like only some people are born in sin. No, we all are. And so that's why we have to understand that we all need God at all times. And uh, he says, behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And this, you know, this, this speaks of the care of the soul, caring for the, the, the deepest chambers of man. Um, you know, and the, you know, caring for our soul is, is something that we don't, you know, we don't typically think about, you know, how's our soul doing? You know, we focus on the heart, the mind, um, you know, obviously our lifestyle, but the soul, the soul of man, we need to nourish our souls constantly, uh, sanctify our souls constantly. And, uh, and, and the only one who can truly do that is the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit and through the work of his word, um, sanctifying us. And so, you know, he says, yeah, it, you'll see these calls to action in this prayer. Uh, let me just read uh, right through the, a couple of these calls to action and, and that stand out. You know, he says, be gracious to me, wash me, cleanse me, purify me, wash me, make me, create in me, renew within me, restore to me, sustain me, deliver me. Um, and so you see these different calls, right? And it's beautiful. And, 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 and this, 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 the psalmist is not saying, you know, restore your people, you know, restore, restore uh, 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 Israel. No, he's saying me, I'm the sinner. I'm the problem right now. It's not even them. It's me. 
And and this is the this is the the beautiful uh, um, you know a contrite sinner's prayer for pardon. Like the title says, you know, when somebody's contrite, when somebody's uh, has a broken spirit, God is the one who comes and restores that. God is the one who comes and uplifts that. Uh, God is the one who comes and heals, for He is our healer. And and in in verse seven it says, "Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean." We have to understand that this is in context with Leviticus fourteen six. That this in Leviticus fourteen six you see that the lepers were cleansed with hyssop and water. So in a, we're, we're spiritual lepers in a sense. He was saying he that's how that's how he was putting his sin. He was saying, "Wash me with this hyssop." And again, this is in reference to Leviticus fourteen six. Remember, the lepers were not. Um, it was not some sort of thing that anybody ever wanted, right? They were outside of the city walls. They were they were not even able to uh, to come among the people. They were outcasts. They were marginalized. And those are the ones Jesus came to save. Not the ones who don't need a savior, but he came for the sick. He came for the lost. He came for those who were put outside. He came to bring in, and those are us. And, and so understand when David says that, he's saying, man, I purify me because I'm a leper. I'm a spiritual leper. I've sinned, and, 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 and this is a contagious thing, and, uh, and only God can cleanse me. Um, and then he says, wash me. And I shall be whiter than snow. You know, uh, make me hear uh, joy and gladness. Again, we become deaf to joy. We become deaf to God uh, when, when, when we are um, uh, abounding in sin and we're not abiding in Christ. You know, we don't hear no more gladness and joy. You know, this is why when somebody is living in sin, they can fake it. They can. They, people can fake it very good. But deep down in their soul, if you were to ask them, you know, they are not happy people. They are not living in peace. They're not because of the sin hounds them. Because sin, especially if they knew the Lord, sin is constantly, uh, I, I mean, God's, God's voice is constantly on, uh, in their conscience. And it just, it, it, you can't even sin in pleasure. Um, and, uh, and that's what happens. That's why a lot of people are miserable. They're bitter. They're angry. And you see this a lot. And this is the, the, when, when you... When, when, when we uh, are living in this world and we um, rub shoulders with bitter people, you know, have compassion for them because most likely there's sin in their life. Uh, you know, if, if they're always angry people, most likely there's something in there. And, and uh, if they're always, um, I don't know, whatever, whatever other things we, we see, prideful people, uh, you know, uh, you know that's sin. And so whatever it is, and, and, and this is the thing, unless they acknowledge it, it, it's no, it doesn't matter how much we let them know. Uh, we are not the Holy Spirit. It, it, we need to pray for them. And we need to pray for each other. We need to pray for ourselves uh, before anybody else. And that's the truth. And then, uh, so he says, make me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. And, and, um, and then it goes into uh, verse 10. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with the willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. So before I dive into this section, let me go back to the, the, three, uh, the three subheadings from the beginning so that, that I gave you guys to think about. Number one is, is going to be the grip of sin. Understand this, that when we, when we fall into the grip of sin, it is very hard to get out. It is not an easy thing. This is why we need God, because we cannot fight sin alone, because sin is within us. 
We need God's help to release us and, and to set us free from the slavery of sin. And so under, understand this, that a lot of people think that they can, uh, uh, but so a lot of people play with sin, right? And they think that, well, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. And then sin takes a hold of their life. And then it's really hard because now sin masters their minds. Sin, whatever that sin in, sin is, it masters their heart. And so, uh, you know, understand that only God has the power to release us and make us free and help us not be those angry people, bitter, uh, sinful, resentful, prideful, whatever it is, right? It could be many, it could be many sins. And uh, at times we have many things we're working on, all of us, right? It's like when we're done with one and here goes the next one. But that, that's just because we're under construction, you know? And that's why I was telling you about seasons. You're, right now, maybe you're struggling with one thing. Maybe next season, it's another thing. Maybe it's a season of, of not so many struggles. I, I don't know. It, you know, every, everybody, um, everybody's life is different. Um, and so we all face uh, these things differently. And then number two is the tyranny of sin. So what do I mean by the tyranny of sin? Exactly that, that you know, that there's oppression, uh, um, harsh treatment, and misery. So when we are under the tyranny of sin, it is not, an, it is, it is a weight upon our life. It is, it is like a, a, a backpack full of weight that does not let us move. Um, and, and it becomes a tyranny. It becomes an oppressor. It literally does. It becomes something that's constantly beating on our mind and our hearts. It's because God wants to, that's why we cast his, cast our burdens, you know, you know, you know uh, um, uh, seek forgiveness from God. He's the only one that can give us true freedom. Um, and so it, it literally becomes a tyranny. A lot of people that are miserable in life is because they're living in sin. Uh, you know, and that's the truth. Um, uh, you know, I hate saying that at times because people say, well, that's just such a, you know, quick little remedy. But it's true. You know, a lot of the miserable people are, are actively living in sin. When, when, you, look, when you look closely, um, um, you know, you don't need me to testify. You guys know very well uh, in, in many people's lives. As you, you guys live, you'll see that. Uh, in the world we live in, um, just turn on the TV and you'll see miserable people. Um, so, and then number three, a repentant heart. So there, the, the problem is sin. But God gives us a way out, and it's a repentant heart. And this prayer is a true prayer of repentance. If you want a prayer, how does repentance look like? This is what it looks like. This is a model prayer. You know, if, if I was ever to, um, to teach somebody the sinner's prayer, um, I, would, I would lead them through Psalm 51. You know, this is a true person who acknowledges that there is sin in their life, and, God, and they need God to intervene. Uh, this is this is not some sort of oh Jesus come into my life and you know thank you Jesus and and good night no this is serious because sin is serious you know this this this, uh, this ver um, I'm sorry this chapter uh, you know makes us see, count the cost and and uh, and it's not cheap grace you know there's a whole lot uh, uh, wrapped up in this and so there's uh, you know a repentant heart you know God will not look past that God will not um, you know God cannot uh, just ignore uh, a sincere heart. We see this in scripture for the most humble people to the rich people. It doesn't matter who they are. Um, just a contrite heart, humble heart, God will not reject and uh, understand that. And that's a beautiful, that's why, you know, we, we point people to Jesus and we let them know what, what, you know, um, what, you know, what, what freedom there is in Christ. And, um, and we do it through the Holy scriptures and yes, it convicts souls. Yes. Yes. We need to talk about repentance and sin, but there's also freedom in this, and there's beauty in this. And so, uh, in verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and this is renew 
a steadfast spirit um, within you. Do not cast away your presence and do not take away your Holy Spirit from you. So this, the first verse is, uh, is in connection to um, Matthew 5, uh, 8, which says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, and so again, so blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Uh, again, this is a connection to, to the Sermon on the Mount. And after we, you know, we seek repentance, uh, that's, you know, that, that's what God does. He literally creates a new heart. And so, bear with me one second. Okay. And so he literally creates a new heart. And this is the beautiful thing of, of our Christian walk, uh, that it's constantly, you guys have been hear, hearing me say this over and over. There, there's a newness of life. There's a new creation. There's, there, 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 it's, the old is gone. And I've been constantly trying to tell you guys this because this is what it's about. If the old has not gone, then there is no newness of life, right? And, 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 and you, we can't say, well, I know Jesus Christ, but nothing has changed in my life. Well, brother and sister, then you do not know Jesus Christ. Because there's no way that you, that you can say that you know the Lord and Savior, the, the Redeemer, the, the Holy One of Israel, right? The creator of the universe, the one who gives us breath. The one who brought us into existence, the one who knew us before we were born, and my life is the same. Well, it, it just doesn't—it doesn't coincide with Scripture. So I choose to believe Jesus there. So it says, "Create and uh, and renew." Th these are two beautiful words. And, and again, King David, when when he comes before him, and he says, "You know, make me new." You know, he doesn't just say patch it up. No, create in me a new heart. You know, I have sinned against. You. That's how grave it is. Create completely in here. Don't, I don't need a patch of, of this, a patch of that. No, I need a new heart. I, I, I need a heart that beats after the things that please God. And, and it renew, um, and he says, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Again, uh, we, we see in this text a willing spirit and a steadfast spirit. So uh, as we press forward, a spirit that is not lagging behind, not stagnant, but steadfast, that is immovable. That, that, that is firm, that is walking towards something. And um, again, let me give you a, a reference verse for this. In Acts 3.19, uh, there's a, a, a section here that I want to read. It, verse says, therefore, uh, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And this is what it is. This is, you know, th there is the reality of the grip of sin of the tyranny of sin, but also the reality of a repentant heart. And, um, and that's the beautiful thing. And this is what it means. When somebody repents, you know, this is not a horrible thing. That's a beautiful thing. Times of refreshing come into the person's life. That's what it says in Acts 3.19, you know, repent and return. You know, that's the story of Israel, right? Repent and return. Stop sinning. You know, Jeremiah, please stop sinning, you know, um, and return. Go back, you know, go back to the Lord. Um, the one who you stopped worshiping and then started worshiping other uh, other things and started serving other things. Um, so that why? So that our lives can be refreshed. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure that each and every one of us have experienced those times of refreshing. When we go before the Lord, it could be, um, you know, on a, on, a, on a time of prayer, maybe as, a, as you're driving and you're praying or you are uh, when you wake up in the morning, whatever. And you just come before God, and there's this, this refreshment that comes upon your life that it's not necessarily a feeling, but you know it's real. You know that he's forgiven you, and it feels good, that knowing that, that you can be forgiven uh, for whatever sin that you've committed. 
And that's what, that's really what God wants. He, he uh, and David is portraying this picture. You know, he, he acknowledges his sin. Then he goes before God and he says, purify me, wash me. Then he says, not only that, I want you to create in me a new heart uh, in a steadfast spirit. And then we go into a very difficult verse, verse 11. Verse 11 is not an easy verse. And, uh, and so this is a difficult verse. And, and I, I, I acknowledge it because it says this. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So and why is this a difficult verse? Because of what it says. Because of what the psalmist is saying. He's coming for God and said, do not let your presence leave me. Remember in the Old Testament, the presence of God was the Ark of the Covenant. Whenever the ark wasn't with them, the presence of God wasn't with them. And that was easy to understand for us. The picture's easy the vi because the, the, the ark was the presence, right? So wherever the ark was, there was victory. You know, that's why the priests would go before them. And not anybody would care the ark, right? Remember, they, if they would mess with it, boom, die. It was not even like, I mean, there was not even like a time to, no, they, it, you know, it, it was serious. And so what we see is that in the Old Testament, for whatever reason, it's easy to understand that. You know, that the ark is the presence of God. When Moses was leading his people out of, uh, uh, um, when they were in the wilderness, the cloud, the pillar of fire, presence of God. Easy to understand. The cloud moved, they moved, right? The, the, the pillar of, of fire was with them, so they, they could move not only in the daytime, but also in the night. Easy to understand. We don't, we don't have a problem. In the New Testament, we have a problem for, for many people to understand that the presence of God is not with everybody. But yet in the Old Testament, it's not difficult. And the reason is because we've been, at times, we misunderstood grace. And we've misunderstood the presence of God. Remember this. There was a time when Samson, uh, you know, when, when he thought that God was with him and God was no longer with him. And that is one of the most scariest things that can happen. You know, he was a judge. You know, he was, he was a man appointed by God. You know, um, not because of his physique. He was just appointed by God. And, um, and, and that's, that was what, that's what mattered the most. And there was, and there came a time where he, for, he didn't even realize that the presence of God was no longer with him. And that my brothers and sisters is easy to understand. Now let's jump into the new Testament. And for us, for Christians, it's very hard. We think that, well, God is omni, uh, omni present. So he's with us everywhere. Yeah. But at many times we are no longer walking with him. And it's scary that we think that we're walking in his ways and we're not. And so we need to really look at a biblical point of view when it comes to that. Um, and so it says, um, so do not cast your Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Do not cast me away from your, from your presence and do not take away your Holy Spirit from me. And there, there is a sense of reverence that we need to live, uh, uh, that, that, that an acknowledgement that, that, that the Spirit doesn't owe us anything. You know, he doesn't. God doesn't owe us anything. You know, we're the debtors. He doesn't owe us anything. And, we, and that's what he constantly tells us, like in, in John 15, abide in me, abide in me, remain, guard yourselves, treasure this, um, you know, walk with God. Why is that? Because it, it, it's, not, it's not just going to happen by accident, right? If you guys haven't noticed by now, uh, walking with God is not something that just happens. Oh, well, look, I'm with God now. No, it doesn't happen that way. You know, we don't trip, fall in love. No, you grow into love right? Many people say they fall in love, um, you know, and that's not really, it, that doesn't really happen. You grow in love. Um, and so, and the same happens with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's a difficult verse. It really is to understand, but just look at it to the point of view of scripture. David said, man, I want your presence to be with me. Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with me, I'm not going, basically. I'm not moving 
until your and if your presence does not go with me. Why is that? Because he knew. He knew that that without the presence of God, there is no victory. And we must know this uh, also that it's what it's about. We need his presence. And we need to, um, like uh, brother, there's a book called From Brother Lawrence. I think that's what it's called. Practicing the Presence of God. A little book, an old book from a monk. Uh, very good book. Highly recommend it. You can probably find it in many secondhand bookstores uh, for like three bucks. But it's worth way more than $3. Believe me, it's a very good book. And he, and, and, he, and he speaks about his daily life, how he practiced the presence of God, how he, how he sought God in everything, whether it be in cooking and gardening, um, in the little things of life. He sought the beauty of God. And that's, that's what we should seek, that, that God is not a tyrant. Sin is a tyrant. You know, sin will be over us, hovering over us. Not, you know, it, we lose sleep when we're not right with God. You know, uh, but God gives us peace and joy and comfort and lets us sleep. Um, and then it says, sustain, uh, restore to me the joy of my salvation and sustain me with the willing spirit. And again, it, the, the psalmist is portraying a beautiful thing here that says, you know, as soon as we fall from this beautiful path of the Lord, you know, what happens is we lose the joy. We do. We lose the joy of our first love. We lose the joy that we had. We no longer... Um, we, we no longer uh, walk around um, joyful no more. We don't because it, 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 we've, we've left that joy. And he's, that's what he's saying, restore this joy to me that I once felt. And we, we have to understand that if you have not experienced it, um, you know, we need to pray before the Lord uh, constantly. We should be experiencing joy even in these troubled times. We, we need, because Jesus Christ is our joy. He is our strength. Um, and, we, and, and, and that's not a cliche. That's the truth. You know, that Jesus is our joy. The fact that I can be joyful in the midst that when the world is falling apart does not mean that I'm ignoring the fact that the world's falling apart. It just means that my hope is not in this world, but it's upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that I can live in harmony amongst enemies because Jesus said to love them. And, and, and we can keep going on and on with that. So we understand the joy of our salvation, it needs to be experienced at all times. And that's a refreshing thing. Um, and like I said, when you're living in misery, you're not living in joy, right? And when people are living in misery, the last thing they're experiencing is the joy of their salvation. And that's why uh, the psalmist cries out to help him. He says, be gracious to me. He doesn't say, give me what I deserve. He says, be gracious to me. Be merciful to me. Um, you know, he goes before him uh, like the sinner, uh, you know, in the temple, you know, praying, you know, you know, I have sin. I can't even, I can't even look up because of the sin in my life. You know, this is an acknowledgement of, uh, and a sincerity in his heart. And, 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 and they said, sustain, uh, uh, and sustain me with the willing spirit. And remember that we just saw this on Sunday, that God is at work in us, right? But God works through our will. Understand this. And, and this is a really interesting thing that he says, sustain with me a willing spirit. Because we should pray that our will is according to the spirit of God, a willing spirit. We all have a will. But our spirit is not always willing, you know. Uh, you know, it's not uh, our will is not always toward the spirit of the God uh, of God. And so we we ought to pray and say, God, give me a willing spirit. Uh, give give me give me uh, um, uh, you know let, let let not my will be done but your will. And you know, many people say, well, I'm a Christian, so that means I'm automatically going to do what pleases God. Well, we all know on this call that that doesn't really happen, you know. And so I don't need to preach to the choir. If I was in another congregation. I would probably abandon that, but not on this one. 
we all know that we are sinners. We all know that, you know, that just because I'm a Christian does not mean uh, that plug and play and the rest of my life is cruise control. No, it doesn't. That's not the way it works. There's no cruise control, right? We labor in this. You know, we work out our salvation. We just saw this on Sunday. We manifest what God has put in and uh, we exercise that out. Um, and verse 13 says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Now we come into uh, the then. And there's, there's three times that he says this uh, in verse uh, 13, 14, and um, actually uh, four times. And, and 19, then. So after these things, then this will happen. So he doesn't use that word until, until, until these verses. After he's expressed himself, he says, then this will happen. And th this is the beauty. That's why words really matter. When you look at look at the at the grammar and the way and, and the way it's put out, because it really matters. That um, at first he's he's addressing the sin. He's saying, "Look, man, after you've done this, after you've restored my life, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted." Look, he's saying, "Man, look, after this, I'm going to be able to help others. After I've been rescued, I can go help rescue others. After my life has been restored, I can help others be restored. Um, after Jesus is my savior." I can preach to others that Jesus is my savior. And, and so the psalmist is, uh, this is a, a beautiful thing. He's not saying, you know, you know, restore me so I can live in peace and, and kick my, and my feet up. And no, he's saying, look, so I can lead others. Because once you know what it means to live in sin and, been, and be delivered out of sin, man, you know how good it feels and you know how much you want to tell other people. Um, and that's just the way it is. And I'm sure each and every one of you can testify of, of what that feels like to have an old life and not to have a new life. And you've been rescued. Um, you've been rescued from the domain of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of his marvelous son in Colossians. And so understand that that's a beautiful picture that we've been rescued, um, uh, it, it delivered, um, not just helped, but literally rescued. Um, verse 14 says, deliver me from blood guilt, uh, guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Remember this. He was guilty for the blood uh, of Urias, right? And so um, he, he, he was not only an adulterer. He can be considered a murderer. He can be, and, you know, David pretty much broke every commandment. We could put it that way. Except, you know, the first commandment. God was always his God. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, um, and, and this, is the, this, is the, this is the thing that when, as we live our life, um, we, we are going to trip. We are going to stumble. Um, we are, there will be times. I, I, I wish I would say that we will never will, but we will. Um, you know, there, it's, not, it's not if, it's when. And so we need to, if our hearts are toward the Lord, we are going to run to forgiveness. We're going to run uh, to, uh, to seek the Lord for forgiveness. And, um, and this is why we're a family, because we, we can confess our sins to one another if, if, that's, if there's room for that. Um, but beyond that, you know, we can pray for one another constantly that God will be working in our lives. Um, and I'm sure we do. I'm sure that you guys pray for one another. And I'm not doubting that. And, and I, I would just say, encourage you to continue doing that because we all need prayer. Um, even a whispered prayer, right? We need a prayer. Um, and uh, verse, uh, verse 15 says, Oh, Lord, open my, my lips, I'm sorry, that my mouth may declare your praise. And this is what happens. The new song comes out, right? God restores my life. Open my lips that I may praise you, that I may worship you. And that's, that's ultimately what should happen in our lives. When we are forgiven for our sins, there ought to be a praise, 
there ought to be rejoiced. There ought to be some change in our life, um, an outer expression of joy. You know, that is worship, right? We, we've gone through this adoration, um, admiration, exaltation. That's what it means to worship God, that I adore him, that I admire him, and that I exalt him with my life. But it's not just with my mind and my heart, but also with my lips, right? And this is why, um, you know, um, when, when you have time to bless the Lord, bless him with your lips. You know, you don't have to sing. Uh, you don't have to be in a choir. You don't have to be in a congregation to bless the Lord. You don't have to be even on a Sunday morning, right? We've all experienced it now that obviously that's not the case. You know, right now we can't even gather together um, as a family in one building. But in our homes, we have, we, it's, our, it's our sanctuary, right? Uh, you know, wherever we are, that's, that's our altar. We are the temples, and we can bless the Lord right there. Um, and that's the beautiful thing. You know, we see Paul in prison blessing the Lord, right? You see them singing hymns, right? Like in the middle of the worst conditions possible, they worship God. Um, you see this all over. Um, you know, when after he ascended on high, you know, they worshiped him. Uh, John in Revelation, he worshiped him. Uh, you see this picture over and over that God is to be worshiped. Um, and he ought to be worshiped by us, especially when we acknowledge um, the, the beauty of forgiveness in our lives. Verse 16 says, for you do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. And it says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Well, simple here, obedience over sacrifice. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. Sacrifice is important, but obedience is much more important. And, um, you know, to obey is better than to serve. I know, I'd be careful when I say that, but it's true. You know, uh, you know to obey is better than holding any position. It doesn't matter what position it is. God wants a humble, obedient people. You, you see this in the Old Testament. He required the same thing from the priests and also from the lay people, from, from the rich and from the poor, from, from those in noble positions in the ivory tower and those in the slums. Obedience, obedience. And in fact, his heart goes over those who have less. You know, that's just the way God works. You know, God, God, you know, God's eyes are for the earth, you know, moving left and right. But, you know, he looks toward the righteous. He not, not toward the rich and famous, not toward those in the high positions, but toward those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And so he isn't, you know, pleased over, you know, just being a gifted person. It's not enough just to say, well, I'm a gifted person. Well, I have, I'm a charismatic person, whatever the heck that even means, right? And so he wants loyalty. He wants obedience. And, uh, you know, and, and that's, I, I, you know, I don't know about you, but when you look at scripture, that should be, that should be a, a very encouraging thing, that God is not asking you to go and, and, climb, my, and climb Mount Everest to please him. No, he's not, he, he's not asking you to do these impossibilities. He just wants you to be humble at heart and seek him and honor him in the little things of life and the big things of life. And as he opens doors, honor him. As he presents challenges, honor him. As he blesses you and whatever the blessing may look like, it could be in, it could be in money, health, family, it could be uh, whatever it is, right? Blessings come in different shapes. When he blesses you, honor him. And, and that's, that's truly what matters. And, uh, and that should be an encouraging thing for us because God looks at us, you know, um, you know, who are we, right? You know, in Psalm 8, it says, you know, who is man 
that you ought to be considered, right? Like, who are we? We are the lowest of the lowest, um, you know, um, it, it, and yet God looks at us and God cares for us and God, um, and he loves us. And so, um, and it says that, so the sacrifice of God are a broken spirit. And so this is in light of like Isaiah 66, 2. Um, Isaiah 66, 2 says, but to this one, I will look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Only God can revive hearts of the contrite. Remember that. Only God. So understand this, that. But to this one, I will look. Right? Is that, you know, there's this beautiful picture. This is the one I'm going to look to. The one who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. That's the beauty. That's the beauty, right? He did not come for those who are healthy. He came for those who are sick. Right? You know, that's why Jesus ate and drank with sinners. That's why he was criticized. Why are you sitting with them? For the, the, the ones who need a physician. You know, I didn't come to call those who are self-righteous. You know, those who are self-righteous don't need a God. Those who are self-righteous don't pray to a God. Those who are self-righteous, um, you know, they, they don't call to him. And that's what happens when we serve ourselves and other gods. And he goes, I came for those, those who need me, the humble, the, the poor in spirit. That's what it says in Matthew chapter 5, right? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Why? Because those are contrite. They're humble at heart. And, uh, and only God can revive, uh, you know, hearts that are of, of the contrite. We have to allow God to work in our lives. Again, give me a willing spirit, God, um, that when I sin, that I can acknowledge it and just come before you. For he already knows. Uh, he already knows. And nobody else may know, but that's not, that's not what really matters. What knows is that God knows. What matters is what God knows. And so, um, and that's what matters the most. And that's what we ought to care about and, and value the most. So let's finish this off. Verse 18, 19 says, By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in righteousness, righteous sacrifices, and burnt offering, and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. So King David, you know, he didn't want anything to hinder the people of God. This is what, this is a man of God. A man of God first acknowledges his sin before God, right? A man or woman of God. They acknowledge his sin before God. Not only that. They understand the responsibility before the people. And let, me, let me put it this way. You know, whatever I do does not just affect me. It affects you too. It, 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 that's, that's the way it works. You know, it, 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 whatever you do, it doesn't just affect you. It affects me too because we're a body. And so David acknowledges that. He says, man, he goes, um, you know, by your favor, do good to Zion. Do good to Jerusalem. You know, build the walls. In other words, bless the people. You know, after I, you know, when you've restored me, you know, bless them. Uh, let not, you know, and understand there's, there's a huge responsibility when it comes to us as leaders. Uh, you know, uh, you know uh, there's a certain blessing, anointing that comes from God down to the fold. And the shepherd is responsible. So there's and not a little responsibility, there's a high responsibility uh, for, uh, for us. And so, you know, and when he says build the walls of Jerusalem, this speaks of two things, of pr uh, protection and security. He says, protect my people, secure the people. Um, you, know, you know, after you've done this great work of restoration, protect the people, restore them. You know, and only God can change hearts. Remember this, only God. And, you know, so let's finish off with that, that only God has the power to release us from the grip of sin, from the tyranny of sin, and to give us a repentant heart. We need God. We need God for this. When, when, um, when David was approached by Nathan the prophet, 
right? And man, he, he, you know, Nathan went up to him and pretty much put him squared with God. He goes, man, you, this is, you're the man, you know, you're the one, um, you know, you, uh, and, and he confronted him with the sin. And, and, and you, and this is what we need. We need, at times, we will need to be confronted, but because God loves us, you know, uh, you know, a confrontation is not to shame us, but it's to bless our lives. And the more you realize that, the more you're going to grow in grace and truth. And, and you're just going to, and you're going to see the beauty of God and the forgiveness of God. So remember three things, um, three things. So the grip of sin, the tyranny of sin, and the repentant heart. When you look at the Psalm and a beautiful prayer uh, that we can all go before the Lord and, um, and say, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Amen. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you this evening, Lord. I thank you for the, um, just for the high privilege that we have, Lord, to come before your throne of grace, Lord, with boldness and confidence and ask for forgiveness, Lord. And um, as we approach your throne, Lord, I pray for, for my life, Lord, and my brothers and sisters, God, that you forgive our sins, Lord, that you help us uh, to come before you day by day and acknowledge that we've fallen short or that we've said things, we've looked at things, we've heard things that just don't please you, Lord. I pray for um, just for your people, Lord, that you bless us, God, with a willing spirit, that you bless us, God, with a steadfast hope, Lord, and, and that as day by day we grow in grace and truth, uh, that we will know you more, that we will love you more. Um, as we look at David's prayer, that our lives will be changed and um, not modified, but transformed. That as we look at the grip of sin, Lord, the tyranny of sin, that we will run from that, flee. Uh, that we will not um, look for anything that has to do with sin, Lord, but we will pursue things that are holy, righteous, pure, lovely, beautiful, Lord, that we will pursue things that honor you and please you and live worthy of the gospel in our day-to-day -day living. I thank you for the ability uh, and the gift that we have to repent and uh, the beauty of it, Lord, just the refreshment, Lord, you know, as the wind hits us, Lord, after a hot summer day, Lord, and just refreshes our, our you know, our bodies, Lord, that's how it is, Lord, and even greater, when you refresh us, God, and I thank you for that, and I pray that you strengthen us day by day. We pray this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. 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 Give me one sec.